0: I'm inviting you to join me in real time on my personal journey of representing professional basketball players, traveling the world, and continuously finding ways to battle through the adversity in this competitive industry. The goal is to share as many secrets as I can to help you along your own path to success. Welcome back to another edition of Sports Business Secrets. Today we're talking with former pro, current consultant and mentor, trainer and current head coach of Glendale Prep, Carlin Brown. For those who are less familiar with his background, Carlin played collegiately at Utah and Colorado before taking his talents to the professional level and giving buckets in many leagues and countries uh, around the world. He played in the G League. He played in the Winter League in Israel, in the BBL in Germany, where he racked up several awards and accolades and as mentioned, he is currently the founder of Point Advising, which is a consulting company that helps basketball players transition from college to the pros. And I'm thankful to say he's turned into a very good friend and who, someone who I have the utmost respect for, not only in regards to what he does, but who he is as a person. So welcome, Carlin.
1: Thank you for having me, man. I appreciate it. Happy to be on here. Um, you forgot to mention decent golfer in that description.
0: We're not not
1: going to get into that.
0: (laughs) I think, I think for this episode, we'll leave out our, our, our golf match from, uh, from last month, because I don't think Uh, anyone wants to see those scores or replays. (laughs) Um,
1: I had like three parts, man. I'm taking it. You had a couple too.
0: No, that's true. That's true. Yeah. I I think you win that battle, but we'll, 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 uh, we'll cover those in the the next episode. Um, so I usually, I usually give all my guests the platform to add anything because I know my, my short intro didn't really do it justice. We'll obviously get into some of those topics, but, um, you know, maybe yeah. if you wanted to add anything to that intro, maybe before, before your college careers on how basketball started impacting your life or, or, or growing up at all, and then we'll, and then we'll dive into it.
1: Yeah. I mean, my story is pretty similar to a lot of the story, play basketball as a young kid. Um, in Los Angeles, I played for the Crenshaw Lakers, the YMCA. And then I played NJV um, for, I think, a couple seasons. After that, just, you know, middle school, high school, fell in love with it probably early on, but really dived into the, the work ethic part of it going into my ninth grade year and um, was blessed to be around some great teams and be a part of some great teams and um, went to college and made the most of that situation and turned professional, so. I don't want to take up too much time, get into the details, but I'm very blessed to have the game of basketball really be a huge part of my life. And it's brought a lot of great things into it. So that's where I'm at. Gratitude, man.
0: Awesome. I love it, man. So, so we'll start off here with, um, obviously I think I've mentioned this in last interviews we've done, but I don't want to, I don't want to just skip over your college career because obviously it was very successful, but I do want to get towards the end of it. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and really for our listeners, just kind of uh, share with them your experience of of leaving college and like that that mindset you had when you were transitioning like when you knew hey I, I want to do this for a living Um, I want to play at the next level what what were your thoughts like are, what were your thoughts hey you know I want to play in the NBA or I could potentially mm-hmm. play overseas I mean walk, walk me through that process because I know a lot of listeners might relate to that
1: yeah I, I figured I want to play professionally I mean that's the dream but I think I knew I had to skill set and potential my sophomore year in high school. But I wasn't one of those guys that was dying to play in the state tournament. I wasn't one of those guys that was big on college. I just used college as a stepping stone in my mind. Like, look, I gotta go through this process to get to the NBA, my ultimate goal. So I'll do it and try to be the best I can at it. But college wasn't necessarily my favorite part on my radar. Um, but in saying that, I had a lot of great teammates. I had a lot of great moments. Like you said, I won some championships. And when I left um, Colorado, it became very clear to me that the business structure of basketball was changing rapidly. And there was so much information that I didn't have um, coming out that I didn't know from agents to contracts, to taxes, to what the good leagues were, where I fit best, how the G league really was. um, All that stuff was new to me. And I kind of found out trial by fire, just really getting into it and seeing how it worked and, um, making the adjustments from there is what really spawned my my professional career overseas and the success I had in that realm. Mm.
0: And and so when you finally, or, or I guess we could talk about briefly as you got into your first playing opportunity, you know what was the what was the agent selection process like? And I guess did did that come? Did um did the reality meet the expectations of like what was delivered to you at the time?
1: No. The agent process was hard. I'm not going to lie. It was very hard. I didn't have anybody that had any experience with that part of the business. So it was really trying to fill out who I connected with the most and who I felt had the most resources to give me the best shot at reaching my goal. So I was getting highly recruited by impact at the time, Brian Elfist and his agency. Um, uh, it was Todd Ely. He was the agent for Richard Jefferson at the time. And, um, There was one more Um, I can't remember who it was at this moment, but those are the two I was really heavily considering. And um, I think I would have probably, looking back, I probably should have gone with impact just because they had so much more presence and notoriety from social media and from a presence of using the actual impact facility in Vegas and having those opportunities to match up with some of the best players in that draft class, I think, and having these GMC face to face would have probably bowled well for my draft stock. And right. there's another opportunity that I missed out on that. I didn't realize the capacity was um, the Reese senior all-star game. I got invited and I thought it was just like a, you know, pity party for the senior. Like, hey, hey, come out to It's a late thing. But when I spoke at it, when we were in Minnesota, I saw how many scouts were at the practice. And I was like, you gotta be fucking kidding me. So <laughs> I dropped the ball. Um, again, not having the, that person or that experience in those two in those two matters. But I ended up signing with Todd Um He was cool. Uh, I think I didn't realize how much hands-on he wanted to be my process in terms of my actual skill development. And I kind of think we butted heads there because he had a vision for me for my game one way. I had a different vision and they collided. And also at the same time, um, he was fighting an uphill battle because my head coach at Utah was an NBA guy. He had a decade of experience in the NBA. And I kind of burned that bridge um, leaving Utah. So Todd had to fight an uphill battle against a head coach who had a lot of pull. He was in the brotherhood and was saying, hey, you know, you probably don't want to touch this guy. He's a headache. He's a cancer. He's not going to listen. So I didn't really have a lot of workouts. Even after winning the Pac-12 tournament MVP and going to I – I only had two workouts, man. So – it was tough. It was a very tough pill to swallow, but I just had to go through it. And I think that added to your
0: story, though, the chip on the shoulder. I mean, obviously, yeah. you know, the, the, the potential in your mind and the reality in your mind was that you could play at a certain level. And for whatever reason, the the uh, th- that just it didn't it didn't open up. Those doors didn't open up right away. And then so so. F- Early on, you found yourself in the G League, and so I want to touch on that G League grind. At the time, it was the D League. Uh, you know, I, I want to I want to talk about that that grind. And um, you know, I think now obviously it's changed a little bit since you've been there, with in terms of you know even the amount of teams that are there and the draft process and things like that. Right. In two ways, but right. you know, talk about like the, the grind because a lot of players, I don't think understand that. And even, even when I have a genuine conversation with a player, like if it's coming from an agent or it's coming from a certain person, you know, they kind of shake it off, but they're like, you know, right. I could play in it. I could play in it. But what they don't understand is that there's many more factors than just being able to play there. Um, yeah. So, so just, just talk about that experience.
1: That whole like six month period from the time your last game, your senior year to NBA workouts, pre-draft and the draft. Um, I would say from April to October, it's a whirlwind. A lot of traveling, a lot of basically performing and presenting your best argument as a player goes on. So I was able to do summer league that year after I graduated. I was able to get to training camp. But all that stuff I had to work for It wasn't like, okay, here you are. You did this. It's handed it to you. I had to go to a G League workout in Santa Monica. Um, where the Warriors brass was there. I was lucky enough to play really well and dominate that that, that showcase or whatever at camp. And that's what got me to training camp. So it was always, I had to prove myself over and over and over again. So when I got done with training camp, um, they were like, hey, we want to have you on a G League team or you can go to the G League draft, you know, but we would love to have you. Again, um, not really understanding what the options presented. I was like, well, I was the last cut between me and Kent Bazemore. Um, so if I go to their G League team, obviously they'll probably take care of me. They'll probably let me rock out. And it was the complete opposite. Um, my G League coach at the time was, in the crew was Nate Bjorken, who's the head coach of Indiana now. And he was trying to win a G League championship. That was his main goal. So he could get to the next level being an NBA coach. So he brought in a bunch of vets, 30-plus-year-old 30, 30 guys from point guards to shooting guards to everybody else in between. So they're in there – in his mind, it was like, yeah, the Warriors may want to see you, but, you know, I got a job to do too, and that's to win. So I thought I was going to get at least 20 minutes a game. I didn't really play those first 11 games. Training camp was tough. Um, we had two days, so for like eight days straight, minus the facilities, minus the training minus the rest days you probably get now and you should you should have. So it it was brutal, man, it was brutal. And I didn't get paid. So I was, I was in the G League, probably the end of September, early October, I didn't get my first check until the end of November. So I basically did 60 days of free labor. um, And it wasn't fun. And that check was only $900. (laughs) So it was tough, man. Santa Cruz, at the time we were living in hotels, so basically a double bed, you know, Queens right next to each other, a mini fridge. We had a washer and dryer on the hotel premises, but there was only one. So like you had to take turns, with everybody else that was there. Nobody had a car, um, except for like the, the older guys or the two-way guys. But I think like out of 12 people, three guys had cars. So it was a lot of like. Walking places, you know, calling lifts, ordering dominoes, stuff like that, where it's not the best for your diet, it's not the best for your sleep, and it's not the best for you to perform. I used to have to walk to the gym just to make it to practice or to get in extra shots before the game started. So, yeah, it was a grind to say the least. Definitely. And so,
0: if you had to give a piece of advice to, to, a player, and I know every case is different, and, you know, if you get there and you get in the right opportunity, maybe it can open doors, but just Mm -hmm. in regards to hindsight of that first year, like, would you have done something differently? Would you have tried to go overseas instead if you could do it over again that first year?
1: I would tell the players have no expectations. Just go in, do your job, work hard, and don't expect or think you deserve anything because you can do everything right. You can bust everybody's ass in the workout. You can have one of the best shooting performances of your life does not guarantee you a spot or guarantee you more minutes. I only think I would have did differently to start. I would have entered the G League draft. I would have gave myself more options as opposed to locking myself into one team and seeing what the market really said and who really wanted to invest in. me. Um, and that's what I realized when I got traded because Portland was able to trade for me and they allowed me to play a lot more uh, for their team in Idaho where, that allowed me to really showcase what I can do. And I got all rookie 13 and I was coming off the bench. I only played 22 minutes a game, but I was very, very aggressive in my approach. I was basically selfish. And you gotta, gotta, gotta get into that mindset. When you get into that arena in an environment where everybody else is trying to make it. And there's just, you're in a pool full of sharks and savages, man. The only way you're gonna survive is setting your foot, drawing the line in the sand and say, look, y'all might be doing this, but I'm gonna get mine too. And that's that's what it was.
0: Yeah. And do you think that, that is like getting that opportunity and performing the way you performed? Is that the reason that you opened up doors for overseas?
1: Absolutely. Like my, my mindset changed so much in Santa Cruz. What I thought was if you share the ball and if you do things the right way, you'll get rewarded. For some people, like you said, it may happen. But for the majority, you have to separate yourself from everybody else in the team first and then everybody else in the league. So how do you do that? You do that by being you. You do that by really honing in on what you're great at. And maybe you showcase some of the other things that you're not every now and then, but you got to master, as my friend Chris Hines in Minnesota says, your superpower. So my superpower was just attacking and being relentless and trying to get buckets. And that usually led to good things and led to my team winning. So that really, that mindset shift from college to professional is key. And that's what opened the door for me to really have, the success in Europe. group yeah so i just said and then, if, I, if i'm not gonna play or if i'm not gonna get to the level i want to be at then i'm going to just do shit my way because i can live with that i can't live with somebody else saying well no you're not this or you're not that or we're not going to give this time i'm going to make you give me time and if not i'm going to go somewhere else where i show you so
0: Right. No, I, I, I think that's important for, for people to understand is because, you know, college is very different. Yes, you have to play the college, the team game and passing the ball. But like, you know, once you get to that next level, that 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 tries, I like to say, that triangle goes up and the opportunities continue to shrink as you get to the top. And so if you're not the best that's of the best, way, man, right? if you're not the best of the best, then you're just going to be left behind. And so I think that's obviously what you did, allowed yourself to get to that next level and show people overseas that, okay, this guy can really play. And so let's transition into that conversation. Uh, obviously, if, if you're listening and you're unfamiliar, you need to go follow this man on, on, on Instagram and YouTube and, and all social media because he's got all the topics that we're touching on now and plenty more about the overseas life. But can you give maybe uh, a brief summary at first about just the transition that, that you went through from, from G League to overseas and maybe talk about like the common misconceptions or um, you know the, and then you can get into maybe the differences of play and and just to give the audience kind of a brief a brief uh, a brief overview.
1: I mean, I think the biggest thing again it goes just to how mentally tough you are, how much can you handle, how many adverse situations can you push through? For me going overseas was a breath of fresh air. It was way better than being in G League because not only was I getting compensated more, but I was in a better city. I was in a situation where I was the main guy um, and I was in a situation where I could thrive. It's not too many places you can go in the G League unless you coming from Kansas, Duke, UCLA, the blue bloods where you're really going to get a chance to thrive or if you had, I don't know, you were leading a mid-major conference in scoring or some crazy shit, but I wasn't doing that coming out of college yet, so. For me, it was, I can't take this salary anymore in G League. I'm not going to waste more time here where I can go somewhere else and kind of do a win-win where that's showcased and get paid pretty pretty relatively good. And uh, the mindset was just, how do I pick up where I left off in the G League with that aggression? How do I go from all-rookie third team to, let's say, a first team? How do I become MVP of the league? How can I lead the league in scoring? How can I do something that really just sets my name apart from everybody else? So that was my – thought process going to israel like look i'm gonna have a hell of a summer working out every gym i go to this summer before i left to israel was i'm gonna be the best player in that gym you're gonna remember me no matter what my name a play a dunk something and then when i get to israel it's not gonna change so that switch kind of flipped in santa cruz i always tell people the story where i was on the beach just crying just tears to myself like this is not what i expected not where I wanted to be considering all the work that I put in all I went through, but what am I going to do about it? Well, I'm going to be a motherfucker. (laughs) Like that's what I'm going to do. So yeah, for when I got to Israel, first preseason tournament, 20 right off the bat, you know what I'm saying? Just like letting my teammates know, letting my coaches know this is what you're going to get. And the biggest, I guess change was having that much pressure on me as an American going overseas. Cause there's pressure in the G League, but it, again, it's only for select few—the two-way guys, the guys that want to call up. Everybody else, like, if you play well, that's a bonus. But the pressure aspect and the game was somewhat different. Israel kind of still plays a fast-paced style, so that wasn't too much different. It was just, I'll say this to how much they rely on you to do everything and to lead them. Um, other than that, man, it was, wasn't about that. It was just like, I'm going to do this. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Come hell or high water, this shit is getting done. <laughs>
0: Yeah, and and so you, you obviously you talked about a lot of the the on court transitions and being able to rise to the occasion and prove people wrong, but can you go through like what what was it? a day in the life. Like, I mean, you know, it's very different for, for those who are in college or aspiring pros. Now you, you obviously have to understand that it's a job now. And right. Like right. going to class, you don't have study hall. You don't, you do have a lot of free time and of course you're busy with practice, but that depends on where you end up, yeah. you know, like, and, and, and what league you're in obviously, but like for you, what was that? What was a day in the life? Like, like how many times did you practice? What times you wake up? How, you yeah, know, yeah. What, what'd you do to eat? How'd you get right. around?
1: So we had, uh, in Israel, we had two days. It was, morning was like a hour weight session and then an hour of skill development session, usually guards and bigs break up. And after that, you pretty much, you know, you will get some lunch. So my wife was there, so she would cook me something really really balanced, um, you know, protein, chicken, whatever, some vegetables, some rice, and uh, a lot of water. That was pretty much it. Trying to find Gatorade when I could find it because in Israel, they didn't really have Gatorade readily available like that when I was drinking that back then. Um, And then you go back for night practice. And night practice usually was around, you know, five or six. You get out of there around seven, eight. But it was like the first 30 minutes was some basic stuff. And then you're basically, with my coach, we just scrimmage the whole damn practice. So it was like playing a game. I mean, we didn't really go over too many schemes. We didn't do shell drill. We didn't go over any concepts. It was just like, you just got to play and let your instincts and let your training take over. So for me, that was right in my wheelhouse. It was like, look. I can do this all day. That's no problem. So it really translated to the court where it was like I had so much freedom from learning my teammates in practice, where it would like to be, the spots, and then who I can and can't pass the ball to, and the rest of them are going up. So <laughs> that was that was pretty much a day in the life. And you know, If we had to travel, it usually was either the day of or the day before because Israel is Israel the same size as New Jersey, so mm-hmm. it wasn't too far to get around. We didn't travel, nothing – extra extravagant, it was a bus with AC and that was it. Like you said, no Wi-Fi, no TVs. It was just, it was like getting on the Greyhound, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, no flights out of the country. I didn't play, any, they didn't play the International Cup at that time, so it was really about, I knew I didn't have gym access because we had our youth teams in there. So I treated every practice very seriously because that was the only time I could get quality reps. And then I knew we only played once a week. So I was like, if I don't perform this game, I'm going to be mad at myself for all week. Let me make sure I'm, I'm leaving it all out there and perform my best so everybody can see.
0: Mm, yeah, that's huge, too, is that that once a week game is 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 life changing. You're not used to it. So that oh. pressure racks up real quick.
1: Exactly. Because in the G, when you used at the time, we just play back to back. And then in college, you used to play in Tuesday, Friday, or Wednesday, Saturday, or whatever, Thursday, Sunday. So you're always like, okay, I got the next game. I got the next game. But when you're in that entry level position as a rookie and your team's not an International Cup, you don't have a next game. Like we've talked about in many conversations, you're being evaluated as soon as you step off that plane and get to that first practice. So if you have too many of those games that pile up where well, you're you know 0 for 7 or you're 2 for 10 and it's looking bad, yeah, it's time to time to reassess and you might be on your way. Cut, packing.
0: For sure. And, and so after uh, after being in Israel, obviously, you know, you proved yourself pretty quickly. Can you talk about like, what, what was your mindset when, because obviously, you know, when, when when you're going through that pro grind, unless you get drafted, even if you get drafted, but you're always like, all right, what's next? You know, like I'm looking yeah. for that next contract. And especially mm-hmm. with the overseas, a lot of these contracts are one year, high turnover, high yeah. pressure. So uh, what was your mindset like? Was there something where you were like, hey, like, I need to, I need to get to a certain level or I really want to be in this country or in this league? And, and, and how did you kind of process that mentally, uh, I guess, going through that process?
1: The good thing for me at first was, like, I didn't know what overseas basketball looked like. So I wasn't watching EuroLeague. I wasn't watching EuroCup. The ignorance was bliss, literally, because I was just solely focused on performing and winning performing and winning. So when I did start taking notice, because Maccabi Tel Aviv was our big rival in that country, because we were basically like the Clippers, they're like the Lakers, and they had a really good team that year. Actually, won Euroleague when I was there. So I only knew Maccabi. So then when I started watching them play against Milan and Madrid, that's when I started getting the sense of, okay, this is a lot bigger than I realized. And at the time, I really liked the way that Milan played. Um, Keith Lankford was there at the time, and I think he led them in scoring, and led it Italy in scoring. So for me, I was like, you know, maybe I could do that. Maybe I can go to Milan and and basically feeling for him when he leaves. But as the season progressed, and I was getting more and more interest, yeah, all those thoughts started creeping in. What's next? How much can I make? Because I was clearly outperforming my contract. My, my team got a bargain on me, um, so it was like, okay, I can't let this happen again where can I go next where I get my equal market value and then continue to elevate and rise up the ranks. So when it was all said and done that year, I probably had, I had Milan, I had Olympiacos, I had Maccabi, I had Kazan and I had Estudiantes. Those are my probably my five best, I guess, biggest teams in terms of the offers. And then I had Bamberg, which at the time was being coached I Forget the guy's name, but I think he's an NBA now. And they came and saw me play in April and um, they were, they loved me. And I was like, well, damn, y'all really committed. Y'all came out here during y'all season to check me out. So it means a lot, but then he got fired um, and they hired Andrea Trinkieri, who's the head coach now at Byron. And, um, you know, he had that kind of same respect for me. I don't think he realized, you know, how good I was. He didn't really care for the Israeli league like that, but um, Brendan, their scout really kept pushing me to come. And I went with them. I really trusted Germany as a whole. That's what I was looking at, too, during that time. okay, whose economy is what? Who takes care of their players outside of basketball? I didn't want to go to Olympiacos and play for free for four months. I didn't really want to play behind Spinulis either. I was 24. I didn't want to play 18 minutes a game. I figured I could do that when I'm 34, you know? So all these factors played in my head. Didn't want to go to Kazan because it's Siberia and I had a wife. Maccabi gave me a low ball offer. I didn't want to deal with them. And uh, they, they were competitive, but I didn't want to go to the ACB at the time because Americans don't necessarily do well um, their first couple of years. And you got to kind of build up that resume. So um, Bamberg was the best fit. And Milan came in late, and I was pretty much already committed to, to Bamberg. So that was my thought process. I really checked the boxes. I really see where I could go to from there. Bamberg's history with PJ Tucker, Brian, I think it's Robertson, uh, Robinson, and then they had a couple of guys that already made it to the NBA, and that was my goal was to get back to the NBA. So that's how I kind of did it based on deductive reasoning. Mm. I, that was going to be my next
0: question, but you you, you you crushed that answer. It's just like, you know, I think it's important for people that are listening to identify all the different variables yeah. that need to go into the process. And, and the way that yeah. I usually phrase it is, you know, all those things that you mentioned, The obviously the salary, the coaching staff, the, you know, the, the, the culture of the country that it's in. Uh, do they pay right. on time? Um, right. You know, how much access you have to the gym what your teammates are like the coach, all that yeah. stuff. Everybody yeah. needs to identify that for themselves because everybody can put different weights in that. You know, like so you, uh, whoever's listening, you need, need to put those variables in your own algorithm, decide what weights you mm-hmm. give them and then determine for yourself. And obviously, you know, you did a great job of walking us through, um, you know, like your your, your own algorithm.
1: Yeah, and I think so- a lot of guys get, they get over sensationalized with the fact of the hype of, oh, I gotta get League, I gotta get League, I need this stamp. Whereas like if you sell out too early and you do get the League stamp, but you don't play at that level that they need you to, you kind of take a step backwards. So I was, I had no problem understanding I was already League talent because I had the offers to, to say so. But working my way through the Euro Cup, still getting paid the money I wanted to get paid, and being OK, like, look, I no longer really, I don't really need the, the contract to say so, because I already had them. I just projected them because I had a better overall opportunity. So I would say don't get gassed by the brand or the league. You still have to go where you can maximize your, your age and your playing ability, because it's going to be there anyway, because if, if my trajectory would have stayed the same, I could have had another slew of EuroLeague offers in next year. So what difference would it have been made? None.
0: Mm-hmm. Yep. That's great. I, I think, you know, essentially it's just, it's just a label, you know, like, yes, being in the EuroLeague is cool. Um, but there are so many other opportunities that could be just as lucrative, but also as beneficial to your long-term process. So it's, it's uh, right. definitely a great point. And so talk about, the next chapter of your life and you know, you're, you're, you're obviously you're in a, you're in a great contract and you know, you're, you're, you're playing well and then you get injured. Mm -hmm. And can you walk me through the mindset that you had to kind of overcome of, you know, what was next for you and what happened after that injury?
1: Right. So, yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I finished, I think I got back from Israel in May. Um, I had like six mini camp workouts that I did, or I think I did four out of six. I ended up getting hurt. But this um, summer league with the Nuggets, didn't really perform well, and I was like, all right, I'm ready to sign because this ain't, ain't what I need to be going through. So I signed with Ben Bury in, in the summer league, end of summer league, and um, went there, was killing it, man, was killing it through the preseason, was killing it in practice. It was basically the same thing that I was doing in Israel, just with better teammates around me, and um, I guess you could say a better league. And um, so I was the high of high. I was really at the peak of my powers and I was still climbing, still going. So, when I got the injury the first game, um, I didn't think nothing of it too much. But then, when I realized at halftime I couldn't bend my knee back, I said, oh, this might not be good. But I finished the game. Uh, we played uh, Bremerhaven. I had like 17 and 19 minutes, and 17, 21 minutes. But after the game, I couldn't put weight on my knee. And I was like, oh, shit. So, I got to get mm. it checked out. So, I get it checked out. And um, at first they thought it was nothing, you know, they drained it. They said, you know, you'll be fine. And then they did another MRI. They revealed that I had cartilage damage in my knee. And cartilage damage, for those that don't know, is basically – it can be basically <laughs> the end of your career. And that's what it was for me. Um, so it was a hard, very hard reality to swallow, man, because six months ago I was, I was the top of the mountain. I was one of the most highly coveted guards in Europe. And um, for it to basically flip on its head after all the work I put in, the sacrifices, it sucked. It really sucked. So I went home. Um, I got a surgery um, thinking that it was going to be okay. And I would get back to my level just with time and effort and just put in the work that I always did. So I went back to Um the next year, another Euro Cup team in Germany. But it just – unfortunately, I just couldn't get back to myself that I was – that what I was showing in Israel. And it was a lot of frustration, man. It was a lot of pain um, physically and mentally, probably more so mentally, just not being able to perform on call like I was so used to doing. So it was tough. It's still tough to this day, you know, watching some of the guys that I was trying to compete against and with. And my former teammates are now 10, 9 10-year 10 pros. And even the guys that I mentor who I wanted so bad for them, but they still don't quite understand what it takes. So. Yeah, but I think giving back has allowed me to ease some of that pain, especially for the guys that really do take what I say to heart and listen and apply it. And they see that it works. Those are some of the better moments. And then also training now when I'm able to get on the court with guys and they see, like, oh, man, he, he really knows his stuff, detail by detail, and it works. So it's just, again, I go back to that G League thing where I said, you can do everything right. You can be the best but it does not automatically turn out to be what you think it should or what it could be. A lot of variables happen. So just try to be really present and grateful in those moments.
0: Yeah. And, and, and again, I think all that, all that, uh, that experience, that pain, that hurt, but also the ups, uh, including the downs of your career is really what has helped you be successful and, and impactful with, point advising. And, and, and I want to touch on that a little bit because, you know, that, that is really that next chapter of, of, of your career. Um, and so for those who are unaware, who might be clearly living under a rock, who don't know what point advising is, can you, can, can you tell the audience a little bit about what you do uh, and, and maybe what services you offer and, and how you might be able to help them if they are either currently a pro or aspiring pros?
1: So basically my service just helps the rookies and current pros understanding business of basketball. So for the rookies, it's about the transition aspect. It's about understanding where your game is going to fit best. And then for the current pros, it's maximizing where you are and continue to elevate until you retire, putting plans together, really looking at your offers and the teams you're considering and seeing if it's going to get you, get you where you want to be by the end of it when it's all said and done. So my services, I do consulting services where I do monthly check-ins with players see where they're at, not only physically, but mentally, not just about the stats, not just about the performing, but you're only as good as where you're at and where your mind and where your heart is at. So that's always the first and foremost thing we talk about. I also offer, uh, offer um, film services where I watch games with my guys or games with clients to help them understand where they can be more successful, to point out things they probably didn't notice or their coaches haven't pointed out to them so they can be more effective. And then really just trying to focus on things that, are important off the court. So what are you doing with your money? Um what are you doing in terms of your life insurance, especially for those who have wives and kids? A lot of players don't really understand how valuable that is when you're traveling all around the world every single year. You just want to really limit your risk, but also prepare yourself for life after basketball. And that's really my service provides. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and and I'll be the first to tell you, you know, obviously I'm an agent and I love helping my guys and making an impact you know, in their lives off the court, but it is so important that you have multiple people in your crew. And uh, and if you're listening, man, you, you really, like I said before, you need to check out some of Carlin's stuff, even if you just listen to his, you know, free advice on, on Instagram, on his videos. Um, but if you are if you are interested in connecting with him and for whatever reason, you, you can't find his stuff, just obviously shoot me a message and I can connect you guys because, uh, you know, I can't think of anyone else that um, has as much impactful advice um, as as Carlin does on uh, on Fro's career, so d- you definitely need to check that out. And uh, I appreciate I wonder,
1: that man, because yeah. some agents are fearful of me. Some agents don't really know what I do or how I can help them, and other agents do. Other agents say, "Hey, man, thank you for talking to my guy. I really appreciate that. It's really leveled him, settled him down." And uh, I'm not here to be uh against the agent. I'm really not. I'm really here to compliment the agent, but just give it from. The players perspective so it's it's very a lot of agents unlike unlike mr Tarka, unlike mr <laughs> 30 plus stamps a lot of agents don't go over there. so yep. Yep. that's why i yep. really respect what you do and how you really cater to your clients so
0: definitely i appreciate you man well one of the last things i want to touch on is, is another thing that you're doing now is that you recently were named coaches past season of glendale prep uh in mm-hmm. the phoenix area and so you know, add another step to giving back and impacting the youth of actually coaching. So t- tell me more about that. I, I can imagine it's come with uh, with some ups and some downs and some challenges and, you know, different yeah. types of players and, and-, and new experiences. <laughs> yeah. So h- how's that? How's that been?
1: I mean, honestly, it was not what I envisioned. It was kind of one of those things where it was a fluke. It landed in my lap and I wasn't doing much with my time besides content and going to school. So I said, why not? And um, it turned out to be much greater, a lot better than I expected, and it really added another layer of perspective for me in the terms of understanding the game of basketball. So it was one of those aha moments or enlightening moments. Was like, yeah, you do know a lot about the game, but there's still a lot that you don't know, and that you get better at when conveying messages to players on all levels. So it was a humbling experience to be brought down to. Uh, a lower level of basketball, which I haven't seen in a long time. And that's no discredit to my, to my players and like that. It's just, I'm from California. I play professionally. There's a lot of talent out there and Arizona's not necessarily known as one of the bigger basketball hubs when it comes to high school basketball. It's, it's growing, it's getting there, but at my level, it's still very, very basic. So really having to start from this bottom-up approach where for the first, probably two of my practices, we had a lot of emphasis on just left-hand layups, catching and passing, mm-hmm. um, shooting left-hand layups on the left side, dribbling on the left-hand side with your left hand, like things we take for granted because it's second nature. We did in, you know, fourth grade, some players still need more process. Some players still need more time in that aspect. So really taught me a lot of patience, really taught me a lot of growth, and um, I'm looking forward to this, this summer and to next season always good to get
0: back to the basics for sure and I know he he won't mention it and, and and I don't want to butcher the the actual name of the award that he won but he did win the was it regional or conference coach of the year
1: yeah I won the coach of the year in my region so it was it was a dope honor to um know that my players were listening cuz I I told them it wasn't about me um it was really about them taking the knowledge and taking the time to work on what we worked on and present it in the game so I'm not one of those coaches where it's all about me and the ego. It's really all about the players and whatever they do well or they don't do well is a reflection of me. So that's, that's it. But yeah, man, I'm proud of my guys. That's their award. And I'm proud of my staff too for letting me come in there and and kind of show this whole new uh, way of basketball that they never seen before.
0: Great stuff, man. And so as we wrap up here, the last question I have for you is any, and this one might be tough to, 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 uh, explain in a short answer, but any last advice you have for, for aspiring pros out there, if you can kind of summarize, um, you know, in, 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 a minute or so, you know, with your experience and someone wants to become a
1: pro, what, what would you tell them? I think the first thing you have to do is be all in. I think a lot of people are one foot in one foot out because they're afraid to fail or they're afraid to spend money. And I, turn into an investment or a return. So I think first and foremost, you gotta be all in. Um, You have to not be afraid to fail. You have to not be afraid to tell people you don't have time because you're trying to focus and master your craft and become a professional. The second thing I would say is be realistic in that all in. You know, If you have no college experience and you're trying to become a professional, you may want to reconsider because there's a lot more people in front of you who have resumes that it's going to be a mountain to climb. I'm not saying it's impossible, but you have to really take the time and break that down and see what the percentages are like and where you can actually make that happen. And then finally, man, is, is what I learned is just really be in the moment. Don't take it for granted because you never know when the lights can get turned out in your career. So if you're having a great season, really sit in that, really have that moment where you're proud of yourself for the work you put in and, Work on the next thing as it comes. Don't get too far in front of your head and say, oh, well, I, I expect this amount of money next year. I expect to be in this league. I expect to be in that league because nobody knows when the next pandemic is going to happen. Nobody knows if you're going to have a season-sustaining injury where you're out. So stay present, man, and stay grateful for every, everything that's, that's currently happening.
0: All great advice. All right, man. Well, the official ending here is what I call a sports business lightning round. So I'm going to shoot these questions at you and you got to hit me with the first thing that comes to your mind. Let's get to it. Favorite color? Navy blue. Most points you've ever scored in a game in your life?
1: Uh, 43. Pizza or pasta? Man. <laughs> Pasta. <laughs> that,
0: was t- that was a tough one for you. That's, you. Right.
1: that's a <laughs> terrible question, by the way.
0: <laughs> oh man.
1: I mean, because you left it in the same genre. You gotta at least give me give me something off the word.
0: Hey, I didn't say these were gonna be easy ones.
1: You did, you do you right. You're <laughs> right.
0: MJ or LeBron? MJ. The coolest city in the world you've been to, or one of the coolest cities in the world you've been
1: to. Ooh, that's a great question. Uh Bill Spain.
0: What is something that you're really bad at?
1: <laughs> uh, time. I'm really bad at time.
0: What is one of your biggest strengths?
1: Um, I just keep going. I just relentless.
0: Who are three people that have helped you tremendously in your life?
1: Uh, my uncle, my best friend. So my uncle, my best friend Rashad, and then one of my mentors Nelson. They really um. Had different parts where they played in my life to really push me to where I'm at. What was your first ever job? I worked at this game, this like game, basically like a Dave and Buster's in Salt Lake City for the summer. It was called Sky Zone, and um, it was like a bar. You come, they had video games. So, yes. Yeah.
0: If you could have a superpower, what would it be?
1: To fly, forget free, free free travel, man.
0: Mm. If you could trade jobs with one person in any industry for one week just to live their life for the week, who would that be?
1: Elon Musk. Ooh,
0: that's a good one. And last one here, if you could turn back time and talk to 18-year-old Carlin, what would you tell him?
1: Rest um, more than you than you think. And I would tell him to change your diet immediately.
0: That's a great one. And I would
1: say, don't take things personally too. Mm. Yeah. So those are probably three things.
0: Gems, man. Gems. Well, this was awesome, man. I appreciate you coming on. I know we could have talked for hours about all these different topics, but I know the listeners are going to, uh, going to be better off for listening to this episode. So I appreciate you. I appreciate our relationship. I'm excited to see all the impact you have, not only on your high school kids now, but on the pros. And uh, again, if you're curious as to how to connect with Carlin, and you're listening to this, make sure you either shoot him a message, follow him on social, or just send me a message and I'll connect you guys. So until next time, my friend, we will see you uh, in a gym or maybe even on a golf course soon.
1: <laughs> yeah, I prefer we do both, man. But hopefully, I'll see you soon again. Thanks for having me on. Uh, like you said, really, really happy and proud about things that you're doing in the relationship we So let's just keep doing our part in this fight, man. And hopefully, some great things will continue to drop, drop our way just because of the energy we put out. Mm.
0: Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for listening today. If you enjoyed this episode, it would mean the world to me if you could give it a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you're feeling really crazy, you can even share it on social media. As always, if there's a topic you want me to talk about further or a guest you would love to hear on the podcast, just shoot me a message on social media at Kevin Tarka. Thanks again, and I'll see you here tomorrow morning on Sports Business Secrets.